Verzi Effect Podcast Show. My name is Paul Verzi, and uh, today is what? It's Wednesday. Wednesday, June 24th, uh, 2020, and you guys listening to episode 452, and I have another special episode for you guys today. My guest today is an old friend, man, somebody that uh, worked with me um, on the road and um, just even at home here in New York, New Jersey, uh, super, super funny comedian and very talented actor. His debut comedy album, Failed Running Back, uh, debuted one month ago at number one on iTunes. He's a good friend, the man, the myth, the man without a haircut, the one and only Chris Lambert. What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks, to, uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Yeah, man, it's been a long time, and uh, I wanted to get you on the show. And I know your album came out a month ago, and I'm glad with scheduling and everything we got to we were able to do it this week. Yeah. Um, first of all, congratulations on the album. I, you know, it's funny, Chris, because I was talking to somebody, and I think you did something really smart. I was actually talking to Kevin Bozeman. You know Kevin Bozeman? I know of him. I know I don't know him personally, but I know of him. Funny guy. Yeah, funny guy. Chicago comedian from Chicago national headliner and he was we were talking about people that do albums and I said something today and he was like yeah and I said I said anytime you want to do a comedy album or a special wait six months to do it after the time that you want to do it because you know I did mine 14 years in um I had a little stupid sample thing like my first couple years or a couple of my dad jokes whatever I handed out in South Carolina <laughs> But as far as doing a real album, I waited 14 years, and I kind of stand by my album today. And um, I know you've been in the game for double-digit years, and uh, I always think it's smart to do that because we were talking about, like, guys that do, like, they're like, yeah, I got my third album, and you're like, they've been doing comedy seven years. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, but you waited, and, and, you're, and look at the product. The product was number one on iTunes because – um, you waited and you were a seasoned vet instead of doing it too early. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, the interesting thing about this project was that it, I call it, I call it, I've been calling it an EP because it's only, it's not a full hour. Uh, it was basically uh, 20, it's about 24 minutes of a material stuff that I've been working on over the years and developed. And it was basically my reaction to the pandemic because I had kind of had that fear of death, not necessarily the fear of death, but what would I leave behind, leave behind as a comic, as an artist? So I was just like, damn, if I die, people just have hours of me blabbing about movies on a podcast for like, yeah. you know, and then it's like, but I don't have anything with a barcode on it. And I've always right. wanted to do a project. So this one, um, prior to the pandemic, I was trying to put something together and the dates never really worked out for me to do this. And I just put together a collection of, uh, of my jokes, like almost like a mixtape, how like some of my favorite rappers would do. And there's no music. It's just, it's based on a, a, a set. Most of the set is from this uh, uh, show that I did the night before, the night that Kobe died in New York, in New York City um, on this UCB show called If You Build It. And I did about 12 minutes. There were a bunch of people there because Alana Glazer from Broad City was on the show. 
and it was the place was packed and it's a cool venue it's underground at this place called subculture and uh i crushed and it was like a great set i did 12 minutes uh the opening bit is uh me talking about kobe not necessarily making saying anything bad about him but like my reaction to somebody that had this great story about kobe and didn't want to share it when everybody was hurting and I had a really good set, and then I added some some bits from that, uh, uh, bits from uh, 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 the DC Improv that we did together. One chunk uh, uh, is from the Borgata, and the last chunk is from uh, me uh, at the Vintage Lounge in Gotham. So you kind of get a you get a good idea of who I am as a comedian and also as a as a person. I would say, Paul, if you got if your listeners got a hold of Phil running back, I think it's, I think it's worth their time to, to check out. Yeah. And I like how you did it different too. I like that you did it different like that because a lot of people, you know, I know, uh, well, Chris Rock did that one HBO special where he was in different locations, but you're doing, you're doing different, you're doing different locations, um, but different material at each one. Right. Right. So, so that that's a really dope thing, and that's kind of new, actually. And uh, yeah, I would imagine that people would kind of get different versions of you in those venues, but which, but at the, at the end of it, get all of you. Yeah. You know, what I mean, you get all of you, but like, you know, we know what it's like to be in some underground place that's packed, or a place that's a little smaller and different. So, um, well, yeah, man, congratulations on the on the success of it, and you know, definitely to my listeners, check it out. Um, Definitely check it out. Now, were you talking about this pandemic thing? Were you, uh, oh, that little thing. <laughs> <laughs> this little yeah. uh, thing that's uh, killing everybody. Yeah. This little, yeah. yeah. yeah 122,000 deaths, more than World War One. You know that thing we're dealing with? Um, no, but are you... Are you social distancing? Are you social distancing, Chris? No, what I'm saying is, are you like afraid are you at high risk do you have any precondition because I, I know we've been friends for a while but i don't know i didn't know you to have any kind of like asthma or any kind of like do you have any preconditions or no no just that i'm black and it's hitting black people but i i don't i don't think i don't have anything you know i i just respect it so i've been social distancing yeah. i've been staying away i've been like I mean, look at my, look at my face, look at my hair. Like I haven't been, I like, I like have clippers that I shape my stuff up, but I'm too, I'm, I'm, I don't know about, I think if I touch my hair, like it's going to have to come off. Cause if you make no, I would have lost control of myself laughing. If we would have, if I would have turned the zoom on and you were, your hair would have been out here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared, but you had to trim it up a little bit, right? Yeah. I trimmed it up for you and your, your, your viewers. Uh, There you go. yeah, like I, I just, I'm just really apprehensive about it. Like I respect it. It could, it could take anybody out and uh, yeah. it just, it, it's like everybody's been affected by this, whether, whether they actually had it themselves, they may know somebody that's been affected. They might've lost their job. Uh, right before the pandemic, I was making my Broadway debut uh, uh, in this play called the Lehman Trilogy, which was directed by Sam Mendes, uh, who did 1917 and American Beauty. And it was like my, a dream come true, a dream that I never thought would happen. And then at 
40 years old, it's just like, holy shit, this is really happening. And then for that to be just like taken away, it's like, holy shit. Not only your like dreams are coming true or finally be real, being realized, then it's like, damn, that's a, that was a good Broadway money is like really good. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, damn. So I, I was affected in that way. I know, I know friends that had it, you know, uh, and just, yeah, man, it's, it's just, it's affecting everybody. So I'm apprehensive about the way the, the vigor that everybody's just like going back, like the shit isn't still out there, you know? Yeah. And what's really fucked up is, you know, you know, I, I told you, you know, I had it and yeah. um, Stacy and the kids had it. And, you know, I was, I've talked about it a million times on podcasts, so I won't get into all of that, but I'll tell you that like, yeah, there were, when I had it and it first come out, came out, um, I didn't know if one night, the first few nights, I would just wake up and need a ventilator because you just don't know how it's going to react. But what I really don't like about it, and I guess it kind of goes to what was every, everything that's going on in the country now, it's that like COVID became politicized where it's like, if you wear a mask, you're, 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 uh, you know, you're like a liberal Democrat who's like, like listens to the media. And, and if you don't wear a mask, you're, you're just some Trump support, like, and I'm just going like, yo, this is killing people. I had friends, man. And, and it's a lot of people that, and what I noticed, Chris, is a lot of people that are acting like that and politicizing it and saying, no, it's not real. Or, oh yes, it's definitely real. Oh, of course it is. But those people are in places that it's not, it, it's not affecting. So it's like New York City, man, I had friends, I had two friends that were on ventilators and in ICU and about to die, wow. like about to, about to die. Um, and you know, Jeffrey Gurian, Jeffrey yeah. Gurian, Jeffrey Gurian is a sweet guy, comic, uh, you know, he's a columnist for comedy forever. He's a, he, he does, he's, he, he's writes comedy, does comedy, he's been around comedy forever. And the guy was ready to, guy had a fever for almost a month, you know, you read what he wrote. He was thinking about killing himself. He's got a fever for a month. Uh, then he went on a ventilator and came out. Uh, Jimmy Big Balls, you know, Jimmy from um, Gotham, the security oh, yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, they said if he would have fell asleep or faint or like passed out, like that could have been it. He had it. So it's like, we have friends in New York City that it affected. I saw what it was doing to people. I was one of the lucky ones that was able to, People called my symptoms like a sample platter. That's what I had. I had a little bit of a cough. I had no smell and taste. I had little bit of aches and shit like that. Stacy and the kids, thank God, nothing. Me, I had a little of everything, but I was, I, I can't say that I suffered. Um, so it is real. So when I went to uh, Arizona, they were like looking at me like I'm a bitch with a mask. Yeah. You know, like, like some old couple, they were like nudging each other, like, look at this fuck. And I'm going like, this is, but it was because I was in a suburb, not near downtown. It wasn't affecting them. And now I got an email today going, you got out in the nick of time because now there's like a mandate and numbers are spiking everywhere because of that attitude. And it's like, it's crazy that it got politicized and it's, and, and you're smart to be like, no, I'm afraid of it. Cause I know, I don't know how it's going to affect me. So I'm staying the fuck away from it. Yeah. It's like, and I tell my, like yelling at my parents not to go out because they're they're elderly, and like yeah. for the the first few weeks I was ordering their food from like Instacart and Amazon, and just doing stuff and just like part of me was feeling guilty like because I haven't seen them in a while, so I was just like guilt buying them shit from Amazon like it's just like oh it's just like you know just uh, 
trying to do what I could in, in that regard. And every so often trying to support local businesses with like takeout. I paid like 40 bucks for a fucking pizza. And that uh, <laughs> I could have drew, I could have drove to the place. Like it's minutes away, but I was about to do some like a, a podcast or something. And I just said, I never went to this place. I'll fucking do it. And the guy, delivery guy appreciated. He was like, thanks so much. And so, you know, you, you try to do your part. I, I think, and then I look at these other countries that have like, they're at soccer, they're doing soccer now. Like the, those packed stadiums in, in these countries where, cause they follow the rules and we don't yeah. get to do that shit. Like, do you know how much I want to see this new Christopher Nolan movie? Do you know, I how, much I, I, do you know how much I, I love movies? You know that. You know me from I I you were the first person that I met in my life that I was like this dude likes to be in the theater more than me and Christian my brother you know yeah. you know very well you know yeah. Christian and Christian loves you and we me and you the first movie that me you and Christian first movie me and you ever went to to see together was with Christian and it was the first 21 Jump Street and uh yeah, and, was it, it was the very first one I think the first movie we ever went together Okay. All right. Like we talked about, we talked about movies and we would do Levity Live, which is in a mall that has a movie theater. And I remember Christian came out to like either the Saturday shows or the Sunday show, probably the Sunday show. And Uh the weekend was over and we were talking and then we went to see the 21 Jump Street. And I remember we, we were laughing. And when I knew that I really liked you, I liked you from the weekend. Yeah. But when I knew that I was like, oh, I could hang with this dude was when yeah. we laughed really hard at that one joke about, uh, do you remember when he goes, yo, man, you're getting in too deep. I saw college applications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Well, the best, I think one of the funniest times at the movie, we saw that, um, oh, shit, what is it? Uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Hugh Jackman. They, their kids oh, are- oh, oh, prisoners? Prisoners, yeah. And so we were watching a movie, and, like, I think it was Hugh Jackman was yelling at the dude, like, where's my daughter? And, like, Terrence Howard was, like, behind him. And, like, and you, like, leaned over to me. He's like, you think Terrence Howard would be like, hey, you think you know where my daughter is, too? You think you'd be like... (laughs) Yeah, Terrence Howard's a kill. Mine's all right, right? Oh, dude, we were crying. I mean, you seen a little black girl? I mean, I know... He just whispered it, yeah. you know, and and, uh, and when we saw Taken at the beginning, like the other production companies, like Logo, I was, yo, they got dolphins in this one. <laughs> we would always, we would always make jokes in the theater, but um, yeah, yeah, you love you love movies like I love movies, and love uh, Christopher Nolan's a beast. I, I'm just like, and I look at like AMC, so like they had to take back. They had to walk back that thing where they were just like, oh, we're, we're, you're not going to have to wear masks or anything like that when we reopen. And people were just like dunking on them left and right. So they quickly had to walk back what they were saying. People have to wear masks. I'm not going in there, dude. Like it's, it's, a, it's an AMC literally across the highway from me. It's like my favorite theater. One of my favorite theaters. Uh, I, I don't see myself going until. I heard AMC might not make it. That's why they're pushing so hard to, you know, to, I think they were trying, like you said earlier, like they're trying not to politicize things, but with them, them, like saying you don't have to wear masks, that's like, 
politicizing the shit anyway. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's why they're pushing for it. But it, I, I just, I just try to. I have my schedule during the week and on the weekends. I'll, I'll pay twenty bucks for a movie. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I'll, I'll do that, or I'll get something on demand. And you know, like I watched King of Staten Island, uh, which I loved. Was hoping to see you in it, but I, I know, I know. Yeah, it, you know it's, I know the bit, dude. My first SAG gig, my first big SAG gig in New York was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and I remember when I got it, like I cried in the car because that was like validation for all the years of hard work. I was like ah, crying and shit, and I I do the thing. It was a magical day, and then uh, my manager calls me like a year later, whenever months later, and it's like, oh, you got cut, and yeah. uh, and it's eventually that I got in on another episode, but. You'll be on. You'll be on the Blu-ray. I'll get the Blu-ray. Apatow puts a lot of shit, special features on Blu-rays. So. Well, yeah, you know, and and the thing is too, it's like uh, the coolest part about working with Judd is, and you know, knock on wood, but it's like, hey, man, let's do something again. So, yeah. but I, I just look, I just look at it like it was such a cool experience to be like directed one-on-one -on -one with Judd, and the scene was powerful. What yeah. was crazy? What was crazy was. I was like told at the beginning, there's no way my scene could be cut because of the part that it was. And mm. now I can tell people, now people know, but like I was playing Pete's father that died. Right. And what happened was he would look, and there was a couple times where you could see him, he was looking at the, the interview that I did after a fire. Yeah. But um, they changed the beginning of the movie with Pete in the car and that changed, that changed the script really mm. a lot. But um, no, man, it was a great experience to, to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I, it was funny because they were like, they were like, oh, you're not getting cut. This is, and Burr, Burr hit me up the next day and goes, yo, there's a buzz on set about your scene. You're probably going to get more work. Then yeah. Pete tells me, Judd says, hey, man, wait till you see, wait till you see what Verzi did last night. So I'm going, oh, I'm good. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're rewrites and I'm like, Oh fuck. But no, man. And, and it's like, and I'm, I'm really sorry about what happened with you in the, in the Broadway thing, because, but that's going to come back. Right. Well, I, I think so. I'm not, it, we're, they're not a hundred percent sure yet. I know like one of, one of my castmates was telling me and what I've been seeing is like most, it, I don't know how much regional theater, like across the country sets the standard. But I was told like March 2021 is when a lot of stuff is going to start to come back. Uh, and that to me sounds reasonable. Uh, yeah. So if that show is, is back, you know, I'm I'm hoping to be I will be there if they'll have me. So, um, yeah, you know, man, knock on wood. But, you know, this... it work, work begets work and it'll yeah. it will both come back. I mean, you 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 made a good showing on set. So it just. I think I think when you're, I think when you start to get stuff when you're older, you kind of, you kind of have more, uh, you're more realistic about things, and you yeah. you, you kind of like if it happens, it happens, and you'll you appreciate it. I don't know. It, it hopefully this shit comes no. back. But yeah. No, I, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean because it's like, you know, for me, acting was always second anyway. So it was like any acting that I would get from stand-up was always gravy to me. Yeah. So when, when that happened, I was like, great. And people are like, oh, you actually, when you let go of yourself and you're a character, you got some acting chops. And that's nice to hear. And that's definitely something that I want to explore as I grow. 
But yeah. stand up my number one. We got the next hour now, and it's even way different from when you saw it in D.C., and we're ready to go put that somewhere. But for me, just putting out more and more stand-up and then acting. But after yeah. talking with Judd and dealing with Judd and seeing that whole process, like, man, you know, that was um, – that was really kind of fun, and, and, and it's something that I want to do uh, more of. I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about you know everything going on here um, in in the city with the with these with these riots with uh, you know I saw something really funny and I was like I got to ask Chris about this. Okay. I don't know if you saw because you still <laughs> there was a I guess a group of white people that are taking the shit real far where they they started acting like slaves. Did you see that? No, I can't. No. Yeah, they started acting. They were like, this is what we did. And they were like, they had like whip marks on their back and they had like a black dude walking them. And like, then they had like a woman like holding like, like drinks. For, dude, it was, they basically reenacted the reversal of slavery in the park. And dude, this black woman walked over and goes, what the fuck are you doing? She just, she just yo, she just went crazy. And then another thing I saw was, this black woman opened a car door during the riots and she fucking yelled at this car of white people that were in like a Mercedes handing out bricks going, you want to get people fucking killed? And it was just like, really, I was just like, that shit was, I mean, I wasn't in the city for any of that. And I know some people that were down there, but everything that you're seeing down there, are you, you know, there's gotta be a part of you. That's like, it's gotta be good to see the fighting for against the injustice and against those things too. But then all of a sudden you're seeing everything else. So I'll, as, as a black dude who is from Maryland now lives here and is doing everything you're doing in show business. And then you see this, what are your thoughts on everything going on? Well, this is the first time that I felt uh, hopeful because I think there's more white people involved there's more white people that are taking the initiative to uh, stand up against uh, injustice. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times before, it's like it's been people, you know, people have been uh, looking, looking for help because it's this, this injustice, this systematic injustice, systematic racism can't be solved by black people. Right. It has to be solved by white people. And I see more of more of us collectively coming together for the greater good. So yeah. I'm more hopeful than I've ever been. I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I and so I've, I've donated money to like bail funds and stuff like that. Um, and that was one of the first times I'd, I'd done that. I felt moved to do that. So I think the young people are um, that are that are protesting, not rioting, but those who are protesting righteously. Uh, I think I think it's good and it's it's causing incremental change. And I think uh, we can't just let go of it because it's cool for two weeks. Um, right. You know, right. and so, so we have to, uh, I think, just really. And I think it, it, it echoes and it, it spills over into the pandemic where we, we just have to have more empathy for each other. And, and it, it, it just seems like because America, one of the reasons we're still in it the way that we are with uh, the pandemic and it's just empathy. Like we don't care. It's, it's more, it's like a, it's a selfish thing. 
It's like, well, I want to get a haircut. I want to get my nails done. I want to go to the beach. I want to, you know, it's like, there's a lot of things. And I'm kind of like, I'm low key reclusive and I'm kind of a homebody. But at the same time, there's things that I want to do that I can't do because of, I don't want anybody to get sick from me. I don't, if I had it or any, if I'm asymptomatic and I could spread it, I want to do my part as an American, as a person, as a fellow human being to get, get rid of this shit. Uh, so a lot of people don't, they're not as uh, saintly as me. No, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, like it's, it's, and it's a hard no, thing to do and people don't want to, people don't want to make those sacrifices. So that's where the frustration lies. But w- with, with regards to what's going on with, with Black Lives Matter and, and, and all this, I mean, I would, I'll just, just the, like, I'll just echo what I said earlier. I feel more optimistic than I ever have been uh, in spite of the bullshit around it, you know? Right, right. And that's a very smart way to look at it. Like, and that's why I brought up the thing before. It's like, when you have empathy for people and you do it the right way, and it seems like a lot of people, man, especially in the city, are, are, are doing it the right way. And I know, listen, there's always going to be, no matter what happens, uh, it doesn't matter white, black, anything. There's always going to be people that demonstrate something the wrong way. There's always a few people doing that. That's just life. But it seems like the overall thing on this is it, it's nice to see that. And, you know, we don't have to talk about it a lot. Me and Sal Vacano, we talked about it a lot. Sal got emotional on the thing. And, you know, he was talking about how, you know, it, it's it's definitely a time to treat people a certain way. I agree. I think there will be a change after this, especially um, – with uh, what happened with, with, with George Floyd, the, the way that it did. I know that it affected me, what I saw. But I, I think um, overall, man, and that's why, like, those people that were handing out bricks going, yeah, go do that, and then they go off in some Mercedes and shit. And it's like, that's – that's. but what you're talking about is is what I also like and agree with is that, dude, it's, it's empathy for people, man. I saw something today. I don't know if you saw it, man. It almost made me cry. It was crazy. There was, like, a 100-year-old – white lady who's like shaking and couldn't get in her car and she was trying to get her car falling down and these three black dudes just picked her up and like helped her and like put her in the car dude and it was like one of the nicest things and then i saw the reverse of that i saw this one you know uh this thing there i'm actually glad that the news is showing some positive stuff where i saw this one this black dude, this white guy fell and this black dude like picked him up like to, to, to help him. And I was just like, dude, if we treat people, if we treat each other like that, and it was always like that, man. And it, you know, it's kind of crazy that people can't always treat people of different color the way that me and you have treated each other in our relationship, right. Yeah. As friends. And um, yeah. And, and I, I just wanted to get your perspective and, and, you know, and see it. And I think that that's a smart way to look at this. Cautiously optimistic is uh is a good way is a good way to look at it but listen if it's a step in the right direction then that's awesome yeah and i, I i'm seeing a lot of my peers that my my whites a lot of my white uh colleagues and and buddies talk about it more without being without being prompted to like you know what i mean like it's a reaction to like oh this thing is happening in our country and it's fucked up so it's like it's like oh shit okay I guess well, welcome to the cookout, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might not get that. You might your black your black listeners will get that one. That re- it's like if you're if you're if you're a cool white person and you're and you're a, you're about progress for black people and everybody, 
then you can come right. to the cookout. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I think anybody that's not for progress for everybody, anybody in any race and treating everybody with empathy and respect. And like, like you said before, a human being, if anybody's like that or thinks that they're better and that they look, you know, at people. So, I mean, that's just uh, in, in 2020 to me, that's crazy. You know, this isn't fucking, you know, a hundred years ago, whatever it was. It's just, it just seems less than that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, man, hopefully, you know, I want, fucking i can't wait like you said man with the with the um broadway march 2021 i had um i had a my first uh theater gig was going to be at the wilbur uh, yeah in three days this saturday and it got moved to march 13th 2021 but you know what i'll take that you know what it's it's yeah. less than less than a year away it's safer uh, hopefully the shit's behind us and people do not have to worry about either wearing a mask in the thing or, or, you know, just a whole quarantine or, uh, uh, half capacity, quarter capacity, 10%. It's like, I don't want to do my first theater gig or, or my first real big legendary venue and have that. So I'm glad that, um, I can hopefully, geez, knock on wood that yeah. by that time it should be good, you know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah I was with, I, I visited you when you were opening for Burr when he was doing that Wilbur week and we had the best fucking Chinese food I ever had in my life. It was, was it like, well, we went to Chinatown. Was it dim sum? Do we have, or? I do, we had, we had general souls. We had, uh, we had dumplings and, and you have to remember you, I don't know if, if they had like a, a beer alcohol curfew they had, or something they had like a, they had like an alcohol refrigerator and i tried to grab a beer but it was too late and they yelled at me yeah yeah i was like whoa i was like okay all right but it was yeah. weird but it was that was that was literally some of the best chinese food i ever had in my life i don't <laughs> know the name of that place i remember doing a pot I, I forget i think i might have been doing another show and i mentioned that and people were like where is it where is it it was just downtown from the, it was just like a couple blocks from the Wilbur, right? Yeah, it wasn't far from the Wilbur. We walked, we yeah. walked either from the hotel or the Wilbur. It wasn't far. Uh, you also loved uh, Double O in Poughkeepsie. Oh my God, dude. Yeah, that was, that's like a, well, how would you describe that? That's like a, it's kind of like a cheesecake factory, but. It's an American, I would say it's an American cuisine because it's like an American cuisine place, but you can get other stuff, but their appetizers were crazy. Like an upscale diner. Very much so. Like, yeah. like a, yeah, it was almost like a trendy, yeah, it looked, yeah, I think, in fact, it might have been a diner before that or, or something like that, but it was good, man. I remember that. Yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah, I, I went there. I think I did a gig. I, I did a gig somewhere upstate, and then I was driving through there, and I, I stopped there. I was like, I had to stop here, and it was yeah, all the food there is good. Um, what's going on? Are you dating anybody? Not now. There were prospects. That was actually, I could have, I was thinking about, like, I almost could have rekindled something or got something started. But but I don't, I don't want to say too much on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It would have been like, oh, maybe this could have, could be something. It could have been, but, it, but the COVID hit, and I was like, wow. You know what you got to do when that Broadway play comes back? You got to act like you're taking her to it. <laughs> and then just pop, get get the seats and then pop out. And just hey. <laughs> You can start singing and shit. Yeah. 
Well, is no it, was it a big, was it a singing part or no? Well, this was just like a very small part in a, in a, in a show. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to. But on Broadway, like, but but a major Broadway show. It was, it was a Broadway show that, like, I mean, Sam Mendes directing, and it it was like it was a big. They they had sold, the show was like pretty much sold out for a lot, and it, it probably would have got. It would have ended the regular run probably next week, like, because it it opened. It would have opened the end of March, and was probably going to close would have closed like next week and maybe wow. would, have got, would have gotten extended to at least August possibly. So wow. it was, a, it was a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, right before this hit, I took Stacy to see, uh, to kill a mockingbird. How was it? Really? Ed Harris was the guy. Okay. It, it was, it was Ed Harris. It wasn't Jeff Daniels. It was a uh, Jeff Daniels run was over. Mm -hmm. Um, and um and it was ed harris and it was really really good um and then and then i was actually in i was in california and then i came back and then COVID hit basically so yeah. uh yeah man it was it was it was kind of like we went to the play in january came back a couple weeks later went to california i was getting ready for some stuff and getting ready to you know travel do some shows and then it was just like oh you're home for you know 90 days yeah, and, uh, but you know, I made the most of it. I built a studio in the house, um, in my garage. I built a, I built a, the TVE studio in here, and nice. uh, yeah, man, kids, kids doing good. Lucas graduated grade school today, so grade school. So what is he in junior high now? So he'll be going into junior high. Uh, he'll be going. Into, yeah, he'll be going into junior high. How old is Eleven. He's eleven. Wow. Yeah, and Sophia is eight, so it's like, it's crazy. But I'll tell you something, man. Like being home with them, it was kind of this mental and emotional break that I didn't know I needed. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Stacy was going through something where she was like, "Man, just going away." She loves her job and loves her loves who she works with. She loves the people she works with. She loves the company. But, you know, every day, 7.30, getting in the car, going to Stanford back roads. And I could just tell she was getting tired. And, like, so it was almost like this weird, like, the universe. I don't want to sound too deep and spiritual and shit. But, uh. You don't want to do the, that to Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if, you no. want, what, what, you, if, you, if you feel it, do it. I feel like, all right, you know what? I haven't really talked about this too much on the podcast with anybody really. So I, I'll, I'll just say it now because I've been thinking about it and I saw a couple other people say it and I go, man, I think like that. So I am not a, I'm not somebody that's like God in the sky looking down and I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I don't go to church on Sunday, but I do believe, I do believe in something. I believe in God. Um, you know, and I believe that there's a, there's something got like, I believe that when things happen, big things like this, I mean, this is kind of a crazy thing that's happened here. And, and it's not just a pandemic and it's, it's just everything that's happened here. I feel like the way the country, everything with, with, with the politicians getting exposed with, with, with the, with, with the protests of what, what's been going on in the country, with the, with the pandemic that's keeping people inside. And when they go out, they got to hide their face in the mask and you're home with your families 
divorce rate goes up because people realize they're not with the person they should be with, you know, and, and all that shit. <laughs> That's happening all over the country. These divorce lawyers are cleaning up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like it's almost like the universe putting something on reset for people to reevaluate their shit. Uh, I don't know how you feel spiritually. We've actually never really talked about this, but I feel that um, there's something stronger out there and it's, 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 we're seeing results of it. And some people will be like, ah, oh, Verza, you're nuts. But I've always felt that. I've always felt that way. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, just far as, as far as spirituality is concerned, I mean, I grew up Catholic because I went to Catholic school. My parents were from the South, like Virginia and North Carolina. And they were like primitive Baptists, like the, uh, just like really like intense bath, black, black shit, black church stuff. And, uh, so when my dad, my dad, uh, put me in, my parents put me in a Catholic school and, uh, my dad converted to Catholicism and, uh, cause I, I was like, a, I was maybe, I it was maybe, I was under 10 years old and I told my dad that I wanted to be baptized. And my dad put me over the sink and he poured some water over me. He was like, you're baptized. And he, and, <laughs> and then he just like, he was taking the, 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 the classes, like the catechism stuff and, and he converted. And then I, I went through the process and, and, you know, a, one of the reasons why I don't go to the church, go to church anymore is like, it's the touching kids thing. It's kind of, it's, it's not kind of fucked up. It's fucked up. So yeah. like, that's where, and, and, and it's like, I can't really like divorce that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's just kind of like, yeah. I, I like the teachings and like what it is to be a, a person who is, who is, I guess, Christ-like is to, like we talked about having empathy and caring for people. So I didn't, I didn't divorce myself from that try to be a decent person. Don't be a dick. Try to be as a, a, a halfway decent person as I always like to say. And, um, so I've always taken that with me. Um, and, uh, I think it is causing people to reset. It is not in the way that I would have liked with all these people dying and shit. Uh, but it's, 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 it's cause it it's causing everybody to reflect and to slow down. Like you think about doing comedy for all the years, being in show business, pursuing it. I yeah. I think like I dedicated most of my life to this, and it it almost makes and you. I always have to. I think as comedians and as artists, we always examine ourselves. So there's always that that uh, that focus that we have. And we're constantly recalibrating ourselves. So it's not abnormal for us to think that way, like you, like you admitted to thinking. And I think like, it's like you grind so long and you realize you, you needed a fucking break. I wouldn't, I wouldn't realize that. I don't think I wouldn't have, I don't want it. I wish it didn't happen this way, but I was thinking, so, you know, mentioning being on Broadway, uh, doing stand up uh uh having a day job i was i'm 40 years old i just turned 40 this year i was looking at this like i got all this stuff on on my plate things are things are going well 
But in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, how the fuck am I going to do all this? Am I going to do it? Yeah, I'm going to do it because I watch my parents do that shit every day. And, and, but it was like, how the fuck am I going to do this? And then when it happened, I was like, all right. Not to say that there wasn't any disappointment, but it was just like, yeah, well, maybe I needed this. Maybe this is uh, what I needed and what a lot of us needed, you know, without so many people being horrifically affected right. and dying from this. Right. Right. And, and I know what you mean. And, and, and I'm not, we're not even saying it like that. We're saying that like, unfortunately something happened that hurt people. But when you are told to sit home with the people you love and not leave and all of a sudden everything slows down, I'm not in airports anymore. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not in car services and I'm not in green rooms and hotels. And I'm not always thinking about the next thing. Because, because nobody was really able to, where it's like, yo, yeah. 60 to 80 days. So what I did do was things that I could control. I'm big on doing that. I could control making a studio in my house and making my online presence better. I could control me getting a producer and now I have a, 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 I launched a YouTube channel that's going great. I could control putting clips out of things that people didn't see of me. So I can build my stuff that, that online here now. I can do that. But I can also, yeah, I'm not running to the city tonight. Um, um, you guys want to watch a movie and shit? We'll watch Sonic. I don't give a fuck. I'll watch all these kids' movies. What did you think of Sonic? <laughs> we saw. That's <laughs> why I love you. You love movies so much. You'll be like, I could be like, there is a deeper power. You're like, hold on, man. What'd you think of? Uh, sorry, think? sorry about that. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're right. Um, I actually thought Sonic was going to be an absolute travesty, and I enjoyed it. I yeah. thought it was, I mean, I went into that movie with like, yo, me and Stacy and the kids are going to sit up and watch a, a kid's movie and yeah. it's going to be Sonic the Hedgehog and it's probably going to be like horrific. And uh, I actually, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it, for, yeah. for why, for what it was, it was good. Yeah. I, I mean, did you have a Genesis as a kid? Loved Sonic. Genesis yeah. is my, not only did I have a Genesis as a kid, Let's talk. All right, let's talk video game systems. Oh, I was dude. not a I was not a Super Nintendo kid ever. Uh, I was a Sega Genesis, in my opinion. As far as games that I got locked in, it yeah. was Sega Genesis. It was because I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sega Genesis had Contra, or no? Nintendo had Contra. The Nintendo Contra had was a Konami game, and Nintendo oh. had it. But that's oh, the, the yeah the uh, original Nintendo. The original Nintendo. Okay. Okay. No, there was a hockey game I loved on Genesis. And, and there NHL was... NHL 94, uh, maybe. What's that? NHL 94. That's the game. Because that was the shit on Swingers. Because that, that was... NHL, uh, NHL 94 was the best hockey game I've ever played as far as a video game. You're 100% right. But it also has Sonic, which I loved. Um, so uh, Sonic was the one that came with it. Like... like Yes. Yeah, that was like their Mario. Right, right. Um, and then, so I never got Super Nintendo. So I went from like, we had Atari. Then we went from Atari to the original Nintendo with Mario. Then I did not do Super Nintendo. Then I went to Genesis. Mm -hmm. and, and that was overall, if I have to say, my favorite video. Like the thing that gives me the most nostalgic feeling 
yeah. was was the was the the black little Genesis with the circle, and you put the little that was my shit, man. Yeah, I I was trying to think. So I'm a casual game. Well, yeah, it's funny because you were talking about yeah, I did my studio and it's all in my house, and I was thinking about uh, I was like ah, uh, I bought a PlayStation Four Pro. Uh, <laughs> I had a I have a regular PlayStation that I had for like five years, and it's it's cool. But there's this game uh, called The Last of Us Part Two, which was a sequel to the the uh, one that came out like seven years ago on the place on the PlayStation Three. One of the most incredible games I ever played in my life. So Part Two, like I just went all out for it. Part Two just came out last week, and I really love it. There's a lot of controversy around it, but I was thinking about this, like my anticipation for this new game made me think about the times when I was a kid. I was trying to think, like, have I ever had this much anticipation for a game or excitement? And I was yeah. thinking about it. I was thinking, like, you know, I remember one time, I said this on a show before, but, like, I think I got good grades on my report card, and my dad, he, it was a summertime, and my dad bought me Bulls versus Blazers in the NBA playoffs for Genesis. And he called all, we called all around and they finally had his place in Falls Church, Virginia at Toys R Us. And I got that game and it was like, <laughs> it was the shit, man. It was like, you, it, like, I don't know if you had this, like if your parents take you to Toys R Us and it was something magical about that place where you see the game and they have it in that little slip that you pull the card out your parents pay for it and they go to that little box, that little kiosk kiosk place and they pull the game out and it's like, Oh, oh yeah, man. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's the shit dude. And you're and your parents, like my dad, would, Oh, you want to go to McDonald's? You want to get something to eat? And you're like, no, no, I want to go home. I want to go home and play. play game. Game. Yeah. And it's just something like magical. And, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold on to that like childhood wonderment of like, being fascinated by art still because you know the older you get the more you kind of like lose touch about things that that are kind of that are seen to a lot of people as frivolous or as an adult you're supposed that are supposed to be well that's why you're a performer and that's why you're a performer because what did Seinfeld say he said when a comedian is 40 they're like mentally 20 and I don't think that that's a hundred percent I mean, I don't think we're 20 years mentally younger, yeah. but I think that we hang on to things. Um, we hang on to things that are yeah. that 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 give you that feeling of being in Toys R Us. You know, Toys R Us was the shit. I remember walking into dude when you would go into. I remember KB Toys. There was. I was talking about that yesterday. Like another another great moment. I don't know. Did you? I don't know. It's like this game GI Joe for Nintendo. That was the like the snake eyes. He could jump higher than everybody. It, I don't know, man. That was like the shit. And I guess it was like based off like I would, I would, I had a good childhood with getting toys and shit. But most of it was based off achievement. Like if you did well in school, you got a good grade on the test, you would get a, you get a toy. But like those, it's almost like the same anticipation that you get before you go on stage like those butterflies, like those good butterflies, like where you're about to, I'm about to have this experience at Toys R Us. I'm about to, 
I'm about, I'm about to unwrap this present. Like I'm unwrapping these bits on stage for this audience or whatever. It's like, like your like, wife. It's like when your wife is like, "Why don't you go get some condoms?" You're like, "Yeah." Your work? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You for real? No, but uh, I remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Uh, yo, dude, you're bringing me back right now. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I graduated kindergarten, right? Oh, yeah. I graduated. Yo, he first of all, he man was my shit. Number oh, one. Yeah. He man was my. Now when I see that, when I see his haircut, I'm like, yo, this dude looked like a fucking. <laughs> looked like a weirdo. I mean, he had the chopped up bangs and the fucking. But dude, when I. When I tell you He-Man, so my mother, my mother used to take me to Woolworths. Do you remember Woolworths? I remember Woolworths, too. Was this in Westchester? This was in Westchester. Y'all had them was all the way up there, up here? Yeah, yeah we oh. had a Woolworths. We had a Woolworths, and Woolworths would sell um, He-Man action figures for anywhere from, like, seven to eight bucks, six bucks, whatever. And every time my mom would take me there, I'd beg, I'd beg, I'd beg. And if she said no, I'd cry. And if there was a new character I really wanted... And I remember the skunk man, he smelled like a skunk and shit, like through the box and everything, it was the best, right? So dude, I graduate, Chris, I graduated kindergarten. It was the day and I woke up. And when I woke up in the morning, my mother had arranged Castle Grayskull, the whole shit, the one you open from the back. Yeah, and she, yeah. opened, she opened Castle Grayskull. And she had Skeletor on fucking standing there. She had He-Man standing there. A couple other characters, one of the, one of the cats that, that he fucking rode and shit. And yeah. dude, I, what's that? Battle Cat. Battle Cat. Yeah. And I, I, I saw that shit. And to this day, I'm a grown man with, with children who graduated fifth grade today. Yeah. And, uh, well, tomorrow's officially his last day. But today was his graduation drive-by. It was nice, you know, a little different. But, um... And I saw that, and to this day, I think about that moment of joy that yeah. I had from that. And it's such an innocent, it's such an innocent thing. Like, like, uh, and even when you get older and you get Xbox, so then you get people yeah. like Lucas has PS4. Even when you have that, and I'm like, hey, buddy, we're getting a game. You want to get a game? And then you get a new game and you play it. It's like that feeling of doing that. That's like there's something about that. I don't want to ever go away. No, it, you're absolutely right. I remember actually one time you had a, ga a like a cookout at your place, and it was it was Lucas's birthday, so I remember I went to Target. To, I got him like a couple action figures, and yeah. I'm, in the, I'm in the toy section. I'm like, God damn, I want some. So I didn't, but but it was just like I was like these are. It was just it was just it brought it always takes me back. Like it's just like those moments. Like so. So fast forward to Friday, like Friday morning, like the game, The Last of Us Part Two came out and it was, it was live at 12.01. So I downloaded it to my PlayStation and I start playing it. I was just like, I stayed up to like four or five in the morning playing that game. It was just like, I was like, oh my God, I'm playing this. This is fucking amazing. So it's like, it's, it's the shit, dude. So it's like everybody, like you have to, Whatever it is, you gotta find whatever that is. Your your whether it's a whether it's a, a a pursuit like stand up acting and show business in the arts, or if it's something that's your like your your pastime, you gotta find something like that to just kind of keep your sanity. I was just like, I was like, I needed this. I, I needed I needed this. 
Or let me ask you this. Or, and this, I'm not trying to be funny here. Or is it because we're sad about things that we lacked? Right? Because sometimes I think about this. Sometimes I'm like. In childhood or, or? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was talking to, I was talking to somebody about this and they go, they go, uh, even the biggest comedians, right? You want to say Chappelle, Louis, Rock, Burr, these guys. They all get on stage for a reason. Mm-hmm. Me and you, we get on stage for a reason. You want to get up on stage. You want to be in showbiz for Yes, we love it. But there's something with either insecurity or attention or something that we, that we have. And I think, and maybe I think you're right. I think holding on to a great feeling, but maybe there's something there. And listen, I'm not a psychologist, okay, at all. But um, maybe there's something there that that feeling of innocence that we had then too. Like it was almost like a, there was like this happiness and innocence and all is good in the world in that moment. And, and then, because the more, I gotta be honest with you, Chris, and this is another thing I really haven't talked to people about. I mean, we've, we've, we've glossed over it before with uh, some other comedians, but there's a lot of sick individuals in our business. There's oh, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of fucking mental health issues. I'm not saying that I don't have, you know, what I went through in 2016 with depression and all that. But then there's people that are just really out there and fucked up and you listen to them talking. You're like, holy shit, there's a lot of things. And I think it comes from a lack of something when we were kids. Now, me, I know what it was with me. Parents divorced. A lot of things happened. Um, Felt like I was stripped of things, especially security. So going back to those moments of like He-Man and Voltron and all that shit was like, oh, that's what, because that's then during my, whatever I was going through then, that kind of was the Band-Aid then. Yeah. Right? Like That was the Band-Aid then. So I think about those things. And now I'm like older and I have my own kids. I'm going to make, not make the same mistakes I made with my kids for sure. Um, But I, I think that what we grew up and I don't know how you grew up. I mean, I know you grew up with both parents staying together. But there's, there, I think performers have a, an attention thing or something that we subconsciously continues. Yeah, I think um, with, with something that like, like I just look at video games as a pastime, but I think... It's <laughs> like, yo, can I just have a video game? Man? What I don't the fuck? fucking like have a fucking PlayStation without being just... No, I... It's... <laughs> It's just one of those. It's one of those things where it's like it is an it's an escape. It's definitely an escape because I realized that even during the pandemic, where you know you kind of been seclu- I've been secluding, you know, quarantining and all that stuff. I still have the day job that I'm working from home. Like I'm grinding on that harder than I think I was. Even harder than I was when I was going to the office every day. And I was like, oh, oh shit, um, I've been doing this for three months. I've been grinding at this. Let me take a couple days off. I took that, I took last Friday off and I took the Monday off and I got into that video game and it was fun. And then I looked at my apartment. I was like, I need to fucking clean my apartment. So this weekend is just like, okay, back to reality. And you know, like mon- the next day it was like, okay, back to reality. I got to do my shopping, my grocery shopping. I got to clean up. I got to do this and that, but. You were living like a piece of shit, weren't you? You were living, you were living in a dirty ass house playing video games. (laughs) I wasn't even eating anything. Like I was just like, I got to get, part of it's like, because I, because I, I have a podcast and I got like, 
I want to just be a, in the mix of like talking about it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to talk to this, this guy, this YouTube guy, and we're going to break the game down. And it's for my podcast and stuff, but it was just like the game, the wait was like four years for this thing. So now I'm just like, okay, that was done. I, I love that. And it's just like back to reality, but um, missing things. Uh, both my parents were, were together. I think I'm realizing things now in my adulthood that I'm like, where certain things that not to blame stuff on your parents, but it's like, Oh, I act this way because my mom did X and my dad did Y and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like this because of that. And they're like, the, the more that I think about my parents, you know, when you're a kid, you think about your parents as like being P Holmes said this in a, in a, I'm, um, not going to say a verbatim of what he said, but he says something along the lines of like, when you're a kid, your parents are like these superheroes. Mm -hmm. Like you think that they're these perfect people that are, that can do no wrong. And you realize as you get older, uh, that they're, they're just people. Yeah. Like that's just a guy. That's just a lady. And they're doing the best that they can. And, uh, but then you, like you just, like you said, you don't want, you're not going to make, trying to not make the same mistakes that they did with you. And there's, there's that correction. So I think now in my adulthood, I'm learning things that I'm just like, oh, this is why I'm the way I am. And I can, I can, I need to correct this. Uh, I need to try not to project that on anybody else, you know, take the, the good things that they gave me. Like, I, like Father's Day was, you know, just a couple of days ago, uh, as we're, you know, while we're recording this this week. And I had like a, a nice conversation with my dad, who I think is, he is my hero. He's still my hero. And I said, dude, if I could be a quarter of the man that you are, I'll be all right. You know, that's flaws and all. My dad is still, you know, my hero and my mom too. Uh, and they're imperfect people. So it's just, you know, one, I'm an artist. Maybe there, maybe there is, I, I was a spoiled kid. Uh, I would just say, but then when I was old enough to work, I just, I got a job and bought the stuff that I wanted, like toys and video, like video games and stuff like that. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. Um, no, 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 man, it, it's all good. I mean, I agree with you that, um, the older we get, we realize that we do come from our parents, man. And, and yeah. they came from, they came from our grandparents and, and, uh, they want to do the best that they can. Of course, they make mistakes along the way. You know, I'm sure Stacy and I hopefully will make less mistakes, but mistakes nonetheless. And, and, uh, all you could do, and it goes back to kind of full circle, what we were talking about before is, you know, I'm going to teach the next generation, which is Lucas and Sophia, you know, to treat people with respect. And when they see all this craziness on TV and they see the anger and the pain and the, and the love and the hate and all this, and they're asking them to say, well, you know what, if you treat people kind and you treat people with respect and doesn't matter what color, creed, nationality, you treat all those people the way that you want to be treated, then, then life is better. And, and it's, yeah. and it's, a, and it's a nicer experience for everybody if, yeah. if that's what you do. And uh, yeah, I mean, my mother and father were young, man. My mom was, my mother was 22 
when she had Christian and I think 27 when she had me and I look at, Oh, Stacy was when Lucas is born, you know what I mean? Lucas, you know, we we're in our thirties. And so it's just a whole different, it's a whole different thing. And you just learn from that. But, um, I could have had it a lot worse. And yeah. I think we, we all could have had it, you know, we could have had it, we could have had it a lot worse and you had loving parents and shit. And I like talking to you because you're one of the only, only children I know. Because a lot of only only child only childs are fucked up, and and the reason they're fucked up, <laughs> no, they are though. They are. Here's why, because it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's almost like the parents have to do that because they're not going to get a sibling, mm. right? They're, they're, no sibling is coming. So when you're when you're your parents' universe, and everything is about you. You're kind of, I had a friend who was an only child. Kid was a dick because he had this thing about him where it was like, I mean, dude, I went to this kid's house on Christmas. I mean, he had shit stacked up to walls. I mean, he was, he was treated so overly. Now, listen, it was nice to see the love. <laughs> but, then, but then when that dude went out into the world, you could see a little bit of entitlement and a little bit of, and, and you're somebody that I see is like, you act like you had eight older brothers and sisters. You have you're very humble. You're very um, you're very respectful and nice. Um, and I will say this about you, man. As a, somebody that's a younger comic than me and my friends, as far as I don't mean age. I mean right. younger than the game. You always had a one thing you said, and I always mention your name. I actually mention your name about it. I was fortunate enough to have like the set of my life at the garden the last time, especially the last time in the round. Yeah. And, and you had told me when we were at yard house after levity, you go, yo, do that story, that basketball story, um, at the garden. And I was like, well, Chris, I was like, I only did it once at New York and once at the cellar and yeah. you go, fuck it, close with it. And I always tell people the story because people are like, yo, that joke. And, and you know, th that joke is going to be as I don't really want to talk about it now because it could be my new closer for the next special. But I tell people I was figuring out how the set was going to go. Mm -hmm. And then if the set went the way I wanted it to, it was going to be gravy if that was great. Yeah. And it ended up and it ended up being great. And I always go, I go, Chris Lambert, um, you and actually Burr both encouraged me for that joke, but you were like, just throw it out there now. Well, that's, that's great company to be in. And so mention my name to Burr and Apatow and all those people. And uh, <laughs> hey, all things comedy, uh, mundane festival, bring me on. You need, hey. guilting, I'm guilting them into bringing a black person. Number. <laughs> doing the black people hey i hey, come on no no but that would be, hey all things comedy turn on the news motherfuckers come on yeah <laughs> uh and the number one comedy album on itunes when it debuted that had to feel good right it felt good when i when it happened to me Dude, I cried twice. I cried on my couch. So I, I woke up uh, to go like to just. I woke up in the middle of the night, and then my my two two my mentors. You know, one of them, uh, Randolph Terrence and Andy Klein, who we worked with in uh, at the Improv. 
And, Love uh, Andy, and I only met Rudolph once or twice, and he was great. Randolph, Randolph. Rand Randolph, my bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, yeah, they came. Randolph uh, came in. Uh, to, he came into the green room. Yeah, anyway, love those dudes. And yeah. so we were in the text chain, and Andy sent me the screen cap, and I was like, holy shit, these are, like, it, it, was, it was, like, unbelievable, because you see it happen to your friends. I saw yeah. it happen, you see it happen to your friends, your, your colleagues, and just, like, whatever, I don't know what the algorithm was like, and people talk about that shit, it's like, oh, it happens for everybody. It don't happen for everybody. No. And so when I saw no, that- as a matter of fact, no, it doesn't happen for everybody. As a matter of fact, since mine, which was five years ago, mm -hmm. I've had maybe three or four friends, you know, get that honor. And some weren't number one. Some were number three, number four. Um, I believe Mike Cannon had a, had a good showing with his. Mm -hmm. um, you. And then there's like a couple of other people that I'm like, all right, like they, they did all right. They got on the list, but like to debut number one, that means that, that means something that means that it's like, okay, this is something funny. And it, when it first came out, people, you know, people listen to it. And, and that's a great thing, man. And people yeah. want to hate. It. I got, yeah, I got my album right here. Yeah. Um, but that's that's definitely uh, that's definitely uh, an honor. And I saw the I remember seeing the cover of your thing, mm -hmm. and it was uh, you know you as a little kid, and the, and and I love the title. Failed running back is great. Um, so the whole thing is the whole thing is great. And I know uh, pretty much ninety percent of those jokes. I didn't know the I don't know the new stuff that you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was stuff we, you know, when we we did, um, God, we, we did Virginia together. We did the the funny boat. We did the Virginia Beach, yeah, and, did, and and uh, you did some from the from the DC Improv, right? Yeah, yeah. The the failed running back track was from the DC Improv. Like the failed running back track and the the Dawson's Creek poster bit was taped at the DC Improv, and that was. Uh, yeah, like it, it's it was just one of those things where um, it it worked. I did the virtual press tour, did jumped on a lot of podcasts and uh, promoted it, and people were kind enough to have me on. And like it it was um, it was it was really cool, like the way that it went to put together and for it to come out that way. It was really humbling because, and then you know we're in a pandemic where people, you know don't have a lot of money people spent money and on a thing that i put out so it's as much as our ego is tied to you know what we do like i'm the shit the things that we have to do to hype i always go i always go to any given sunday when i think about stand-up i don't know if you remember the part where bill bellamy was in the mirror they were getting ready for the game and he was like he was saying i don't know the exact lines but he was a wide receiver and he was like you are the best wide receiver in the game you he was like hyping himself up and the things that we have to do when we have this ego like i'm the shit people should be paying attention to me i'm this i'm that and then for things to kind of work in your favor for a change it was it was it kind of it, it it uh floored me um to yeah, be, it, it, it's, yeah. yeah it's yeah it's humbling because yeah. you're like man fuck that i'm underrated and people yeah. are paying attention to this one and people are paying attention to that one. But what about me? And, and, and I'm funny and, and I'm tearing rooms down. And then all of a sudden you get it and you're like, oh, I ain't shit. 
yeah and you just yeah. and you're crying about it because um you're so thankful that actually you know something like i never made a list none of these lists and all these fucking lists that people are on and then i remember when night at the stand came out they were like oh the six albums that went under the radar that are really good and like i was in that and it was like oh that's nice and then um and then i'll say this which is which is getting heat now of all times because of this because they re-released it but um yeah when that you know when it made the list of the top 10 i was only non netflix special and it really i put my heart and soul in that and and uh so i know what you feel but you deserve it because you were always working on getting better yeah. and i told you a long time ago um you're going to open for people and then stop opening for them because they're not going to be able to follow it you, you know yeah you told me like i was like yeah this is thing is we can't talk about it completely on on the show but it was you like yeah that's that's good you like that's not going to last very long no i remember when you were you told me you were opening for somebody yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's a bit, you know and he's a big name people uh, know him and uh you said something that you started to see emails or you started to see social media posts where people were like man like the guy liked his opener better opener so funny and you told me and i go well i go here's what's gonna happen I go, you know <laughs> you got good news and you got bad news yeah, the good news yeah. is you're doing well the bad news is you're not gonna make that money anymore because that motherfucker not gonna want to hear that yeah and and it and it, you know and it happens it happens where a guy you know some guys just don't especially guys that aren't murderers yeah See, like the nice thing is like me opening for a guy like Burr, he was just excited to watch my growth and watch me get better. But Bill is such a, an, an unbelievable comic that it was like, he's watching like a younger brother coming up. Yeah. You know, you were working with somebody who was funny, but not a murderer. Yeah. You know, like if you were opening for, let's, I'm just going to throw a name out there. The first name that comes to me, the DL Hubley just passed out. So that's why it came to my head. Yeah, he but, was the first, he's the first person to put me on at Caroline's, like, do okay. I, met, I, I met him at Levity Live. You know what? The, give You got to give people their flowers while they're still here. And that, that was heartbreaking to me to see that. Because, like, dude, you're a wealthy comic. Why are you fucking out there? Ah. But anyway, he was the first dude to uh, put me up at Caroline's, like, just for guest spots. And, uh, and that for a weekend. And he was really nice, really kind to me. And then he took me out to to dinner i can i think it was i think it, it's one of these swanky asiany restaurants is it Thai? yeah right next door it was the one right next door probably i think i don't remember what it was called but probably yeah it was really close by and he i he had i he got like all this food for the table and he had chicken and he was like and i was like eating it with a fork and knife he said man pick that chicken up and eat it with your hands like he was like making fun of me <laughs> And I had sea bass for the first time, and uh, That's hilarious. It was uh, he. He was he was really nice. So it's 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 kind of like I and actually learned from you too as a headliner. You know, you how to how to how to be a good headliner. Like oh, you you pay for the person's food. You pay for the opener's food. You you do X. You do Y. You do Z. So it was just like I learned that you know from you taking notes from you. And uh, you know various other people that you pull from to be 
like we said, a halfway decent fucking person that yeah. shows empathy. It it goes throughout everything that you do. See, if you were to open, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm going to cut you off, but yeah. what, I, what I was saying was, if you were opening for DL on a regular, didn't matter how good you were. Right, you right. Know, the, the person we're talking about, funny comic, but somebody that he's seeing you like, oh, shit, La you know, you go laugh for laugh and people could enjoy you that night more. And some guys just don't want to deal with that. And that's an attest that's a test to you. And I, I, um, I told you that that would happen. So when you were like, yeah, I'm not really hearing from that person anymore. I was like, all right, but you know what? That's a growth. That means you're growing. And that means and that means that you uh, you were always somebody that tried stuff. You were always somebody that that um, like loved to watch things. You always loved yeah. watching. A, I remember you watched Burr do his helicopter act out. You were like you were blown away by it. you like watching. You're the type of guy that you like to watch the. Like you would say things after watching me do a joke and go, oh, that thing you did there, hold it for another second and do that. And I think like where your acting chops would come in. Yeah and, yeah. and you loved and you loved that part of it, but that's gonna that's actually gonna and, and what's gonna help you when you do your first special is that because now it's like because that's what's next for you now. Yeah, you know. I, well, I, yeah, like the first, you know, I would like to do a like a full length project. Um, you know, hopefully, probably next year, and to 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 do that, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, this is like putting this out. It's like okay, now, motherfucker, you got to do more work. You got to write more. You got to yeah. Got to put something else together. And so I think that's really, that's almost. Um, that, I mean, that's that's the fun part to me is like figuring things out. And the the presentation of the special or the album taping is is the icing on the cake. Like all the fun is working towards that goal to say, yes. I'm doing this bit, this worked here, this doesn't work, I'll put this here, change that. To me, that's where the fun lies. And then presenting- You know, it. It's, yeah, it's funny. It's uh, Adam Ferrara said something to me before I shot my first special and he said, and, and nothing really about material or anything, just an experienced comic advice, he goes, I go, yeah, I'm about to shoot my special. And he goes, why do you look like that? Why you act nervous about it when you talk about it? Mm. And I go, well, no. And he goes, no, no, you're acting like you're, you're overthinking it. And he goes, listen, you already put the work in. He goes, you already hit the home run. He goes, now just go run the bases. And ah. it's like, and I was like, yeah. I was like, that's, that's a smart way to look at it. It's like, okay, I know the bits. I'm going to go have fun with the bits. I worked for this. And um, what I'm excited about is everybody that knows me likes this next one better. And now it's even better. So now it's like right before the pandemic, we were about to do something with it. Now we're going to do something with it now. But um, yeah, your next one, because you did it. And what will happen with you is it'll take a little time to start to develop the pieces yeah. of the foundation to build. Um, before I get out of here with you, and thank you so much for being on the show. This is great. I want everybody listening to this to understand that this is a funny man. This is a good man. He's a talented dude, great actor, super funny stand-up comic. And uh, you got to go check out Failed Running Back by Chris Lambert, which debuted at number one on iTunes for a reason. I saw this guy working out in clubs, uh, worked with him in D.C., Levity multiple times. I think, didn't we go, did we go to the Hartford? Did we do something in Hartford together once? No, we we did Virginia Beach, Funny Bone. We did Virginia Beach, yeah. 
I'm trying, I'm trying to think what we did, what else we did. We've done a couple gigs together. We did some shit on the road, some, like some Jersey shit, something we did. What, one thing, I think I did a guest spot for you somewhere in South, actually, I did a guest spot for you in South Jersey. Like, was it Uncle Vinny's or something like that? No, it wasn't Uncle Vinny's because I never did it. Was it, uh, oh, was it in Tom's River maybe? I think so. And it was in a hotel. Then we went to Checkers after. All I know is every time me and you worked together, we went to, we ended up at some fucking place. I'm trying like to Like some local place. But before I let you go, let's talk. So I'm going to give you a couple movies that Sal, I can't take credit for, but Sal Volcano gave me these recommendations and it's okay. the same director. The guy did Bone Tomahawk, Dragged Across Concrete, and Brawl in Cell Block 99. Two of them have Vince Vaughn, and okay. one of them has Kurt Russell. One of them is a Western, believe it or not, that gets crazy. Um, and Dragged Across Concrete is Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn play cops that got in trouble for being videotaped for handling somebody that they were questioning wrong, and they get suspended, and then shit just kind of gets crazy. So those were good. Um, I saw Hunters that see that, but give me the Chris Lambert. Give me one. What would I like like this year or just in? What I would like. I'm I'm asking for a wreck. What you would like? Ah, oh, shit. I I think this might be too mainstream, but I fucking loved it this year. Uh, the way back with Ben Affleck where he plays the basketball coach. I heard that was great. And I also heard my little brother told me that Parasite was really good. Oh, Parasite's fantastic. It won the Oscar. Uh, I really like, I really, I really like Parasite. Uh, the way back. I can't fuck with the way back. I can't fuck with Ben Affleck because of what he did to me. What did he, okay. Well, what did he do to you? So I was at an after party for the heat. Okay. It's a true story too. I'll right. fucking tell Ben Affleck this. I mean, I don't got a problem with him, but I'll be like, yo, I, I can't. It's hard for me to watch a movie. You said something um, about the or some shit? Yeah. So, no. So, <laughs> so and no, and I actually, you want to laugh, it got confirmed. So, Ben Affleck, I'm, I'm there, me, DeRosa, Burr, a couple of us, we go to an after-after party of the Heat. And Paul Feig is there, and there's all the, the actors are there, and Ben yeah. Affleck's there. This is right when Ben Affleck got the nod to be Batman. Like, this is like, you know, this is around the same time of the heat. What was the heat? 14, 15, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because he's been Batman for like four, like five, six years. So it was around that time, and he's in there, and this is before he was sober and everything like that. So, I, you know, I give him a fucking pass, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, but I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a Yankee hat. And I swear to God, Chris, this is real. And then I found something out later and I go, I knew my gut was right. So when I tell you the second thing, you're going to go, all right, yeah. So I'm wearing this Yankee hat and I'm just standing there. And this dude, he was on the phone by the elevators. I still remember it vividly. And when he walked past, me and DeRosa were talking to the executive producers, great guys, excuse me for not remembering. Executive producers we were talking to for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We were talking to those guys. And those guys love stand-up and they're good guys and everything like that. We're talking that. And, dude, Aflac, not only does he bump me, but he bumps me to the point where no human that's decent 
would not be like, oh my God, my bad. Like it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a little, it wasn't a little like scrape and shit. No, no, no. And you know me, I hold a grudge. This motherfucker bumped me hard and I never forget. Like I kind of went like that and he just, and he almost walked fast by and I go, oh, that was definitely on purpose. And I was like, and I know, I know it's because I had a Yankee hat on. Fast forward to I think even maybe when he was not shooting this movie, but the movie before, someone said he was directing or doing something. Someone on set had a Yankee hat. And this motherfucker goes, stop, stop everything. Get that fucking, get that out of it. And like, he's got a thing. And for years I was saying it. And then people, more and more people telling me that like, that's how he is. And that's what he did. So um, I can't, now I can't root for this motherfucker coaching. I'm rooting against the team. I'm going to root against the basketball team, you know? So think about that. How would you, and so now here's the deal. I'm only fucking with that guy's movies if I get an apology. So, <laughs> all right, so I'll say watch his girlfriend's movie, Knives Out. That's really good. Uh, so don't, maybe don't watch. Uh, oh, I saw Knives Out. Well, who's his girlfriend? Ana de Armas, the lead girl, the, 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 how, the, the, the caretaker. Maybe. Yeah. The one, the one that he took care of. Yeah. Oh, that's who he's with now. Yeah. She's bad, dude. She's. I, I like, I like Knives Out. So, uh, I would just say, I would say another movie that's good that I really, I fucking loved it. Uh, Waves. Have you heard of that movie? Waves. Yeah. It's a, it's a movie about, uh, this family, a tragic event that happens to this family in South Florida. And it's just like, it's like the, and they, they deal with the aftermath of the tragic event. They show you what their life is like before the event and then what life is like for certain people after it. That's really all that I want to say. And it stars uh, the, my man from, uh, this is uh, Sterling K. Brown, who he played uh, Johnny Cochran in the OJ miniseries. No, he played, he played, uh, oh my God. What's, what's the, Christopher, he played Christopher Darden in the OJ Simpson series. Okay. He's the, he's the black dad on This Is Us. Uh, um, he was really he was really good in the OJ thing. He fuck he was fucking great. Like so that was good. Um, and it stars this kid uh, who's like my become my favorite actor. This guy Kelvin Harrison Jr., uh, who was also in this really good movie Loose L U C E that I believe is on Hulu right now. So you don't have to, you know, if you have that service, you can just look that up. Uh, and if you're really, if your listeners and fans are into, I don't know, they're putting all these like black movies for free. Like the, it's kind of funny how, you know, it's like they got Just Mercy and Selma, all these black movies where we get the shit kicked out of us. And uh, watch how that. Was, how is Just Mercy? Good? It is good. I think Jamie Foxx, was terrific in it like it's worth it for seeing that performance i think he could have got a best supporting actor nom he should have i think he may have actually anyway it was fine like it was it was solid it's a solid movie but i would say waves loose the way back uh movies that just like i really loved and uh if you want something that maybe you could watch with the with with the missus 
I really enjoyed the high note um, with uh, Tracy Ellis Ross and Dakota Johnson and this okay. kid and this kid uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Who I think he steals the movie from from both those leads. So that dude's one of my fa- I'm like a stand for this kid. Like he's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I would I would say those. Yeah. Yo, you did see the? I mean, I I want to fuck with Ben Affleck movies. I you think know? you know what? What I kind of garnered off of his press tour for that movie, it seemed like he was very repentant on his shit. Like he was like, I was a bad husband. I wish I was like kind of he. He was opening himself up because he was selling his movie, but he was very like, you know, I'm. I'm trying to change. Yeah. That's what he was getting. <laughs> you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like yo, I might talk about it in my special. You, hey man. Hey man. And, 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 and be like, I want an apology. And if wave, if, 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 if you cry, then, cry, then maybe you got something. Imagine you just saw me weeping with the way back. And then at the end, I just put my Yankee hat on. Start crying. <laughs> what is Chris, man. This was so great, man, having you on here. And uh, we definitely got to do it again, man. And I want to, more importantly, when this madness is over, uh, we got to hang. Uh, you know, uh, one of the, my favorite things to do is is go, when me, you, and Christian go to a movie, uh, yeah. it's always a good time. We go to dinner, we go to a movie. So I think we definitely have to do that. Um, but th- this was great. So I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for doing it. Guys, check out Chris Lambert. Chris, where can they get you? What's all the um, social media stuff? You can find me at Chris Lamberth on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a podcast called The Mundane Festival, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, Verzi's been on it a few times. Got to have you back again, man. We uh, love to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's available. And failed running back wherever you listen and buy music. Guys, we're in a pandemic, okay? Get failed running back. It's funny. It's 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 heartfelt. It's 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 Chris. It's really good. And uh, you know, Chris is somebody that you're always going to be seeing more of because he's a hustler. That's one thing I always admired about you, man. I would talk to you, and I'd be on the phone, and all of a sudden you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm in Orange Is the New Black," and I'm like, "Where the fuck is? What's my manager doing?" It's a you lot. Of, it's a lot of blink and you'll miss me's. But you know, I, it's the residuals are still coming in. So. I, not, not like what's, I remember like <laughs> old managers, I get mad at them. Yo, every time I talk to Chris, you know, I'll be like, how this motherfucker's in shows? <laughs> yeah. Let's say I, I owe Sally Mae a lot of money to be. <laughs> so. Well, uh, yeah, stick around one second before we, you know, after we get out of here. But uh, guys, this has been episode 552. My dear friend, Chris Lambert. Uh, it was nice just talk about everything that's going on, everything that you've been going through, uh, you know, the haircut, the haircut's coming, coming soon. I know it. Um, it I don't know. Or just let it go out, man. Just blow it out. You know? Uh, (laughs) Um, thank you guys till next week. Uh, you'll see clips of this coming up soon. Um, until next week, I am out of here, Chris. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, Paul.